0: I think one of the fun things about Christianity (coughs) over any other religion is that we have wonderful little ditties that we say. Uh, Here's one of my favorites. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think. Eat what I eat, drink but what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. (laughs) Amen. There's something about being right. We love being right, don't we? I mean, when we're right, the world just seems bright when everyone can see we're right. Uh, The birds of the air just seem to sing and celebrate, the trees begin to pollinate, Uh, the universe begins to cooperate when everyone sees that that we're right. Uh, The world just begins to make sense when it begins to see things uh, through our eyes. Now, we don't say that. But we go after anyone who says any different. We go after anyone who is different. Who chooses another path than the path that we think is right. This morning as we look at Romans chapter 14. Paul turns his attention to one of the most important responsibilities of grace. The responsibility of being right. Because being right in the wrong hands can be a very dangerous thing. In fact, we talk about speaking the truth in love as Paul talks about in Ephesians. Because we understand this. Truth without love is chaos excuse me, truth without love is tyranny. Love without truth is chaos. If we just speak the truth and there's no love involved, it becomes tyranny. It becomes nothing more as an opportunity to make people feel more worthless, to make people feel more illegitimate and less validated This morning, as we look at Romans 14, Paul talks to us about what it means to be responsible with the grace that God has given us in the times that we're right. As we look at this passage, we're going to unpack it, and I want to unpack it with a principle, and the principle is this. Right becomes wrong when we allow being right a reason to treat others wrong. Right becomes wrong when we allow being right a reason to treat others wrong. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to look at right and wrong as good and bad, as holy and as evil. And if we're right, then you must be wrong. And if you're wrong, that has to be bad. This morning, as we look at this passage... Paul is going to show us that being right isn't everything, that there's a responsibility that comes with being right. There's a responsibility that comes with knowing what is true and what is profitable. So as we look at this passage, I want to share with you some guidelines that we find in the passage. For living lives of truth, for living lives of truth, of reality, but of living lives of love. As we look at the passage, the first principle I want to share with you is found right in the first verse. If we can put that up there. Look what Paul says accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Accept the one whose fake faith is weak. The first guideline Paul gives us when it comes to being right and the responsibility of being right is the principle of acceptance over distance. When you think about it, acceptance is one of the key building blocks to relationships. In fact, not only is it a key building block to relationships, it's a key building block to reality. Let me give you a a little principle with that. Acceptance bridges the distance between what is and what could be. God accepts us. God accepts us when we don't accept him. Why? Because it's reality. We worship a God who is cemented in reality. We worship a God who wants us to be who we are, and wants us to accept who others are. Now, does acceptance mean that that we um, we agree with everything? No, it doesn't. It just means that we don't pick a fight <clears throat> over everything. Um, look what Paul says. Accept those whose faith is weak and don't engage in quarreling over disputable matters. He's saying don't get caught up over the simple, stupid things that can seem to matter when in a particular area you might be right. What are uh, disputable matters? A guy by the name of Michael Bird, a theologian, gives... um, Three levels of importance in things in our lives and things within the church. He says this, one, matters that are essential for salvation. He says the first level, the most uh, important level of things that matter are the things that come with salvation. And so when it comes to being right about whether Jesus uh, was the son of God or whether he was fully God and fully man and whether or not we're saved by, yeah, that matters. That's not a disputable matter. Level two, he says, is concerns matters uh, that are important to the faith in the church, though not essential for salvation. Uh, things like biblical inerrancy, in other words, believing that the Bible is true, that The Bible is literal, that the Bible is God-inspired, because if you don't believe that, it's hard to read the Bible and figure out what's true and what isn't. Essential, but it isn't as critical as the issue of salvation. Number three, he says, matters of indifference, the non-essentials, the preferences, the opinions. You know, the word uh, in the, comes in the Greek. It's almost the word opinion almost means, you know what? Twitter. That's what people do when they Twitter. They just give their opinions about everything. We do it in the church. Think about uh, the things that people get all twisted up over. Dancing, drinking, smoking, Going to the movies, going to concerts, the kind of music you listen to, the clothes that you wear, um, whether you go to every service during the week or whether you go to Bible study. They can be important things, but we can make them foundational. We can make them a reason not to accept one another. Paul says, accept the ones whose faith is weak. Why is that a good principle? Because it means this, coming right out of the gate, I'm willing to look at you like you matter. Coming out of the gate, I'm willing to look at you as if you are valid and you have significance. And the importance of that is, I know that coming out of the gate, I could also be wrong. Coming out of the gate, I might not fully understand why you do the things you do. I might just rush off the judgment. He says, "Except the one whose faith is weak. And he gets into two issues. Um, First, he talks about eating food sacrificed to idols and second, he talks about special days. So let's read the verses. He said, says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. You can share that with your vegetarian friends. Um, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything, must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own masters, servants stand or fall. They will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So what is Paul talking about? Well, if you've got to remember during this day, the church was made up of Gentiles and it was made up of Jews. Uh, Gentiles were folks, if they had any religious beliefs, they were pagan. Uh, They believed in all sorts of different pagan gods. They worshiped in pagan temples where anything went. There was temple prostitution, child sacrifice. There were all sorts of weird and crazy things. Jews, on the other hand, uh, they were people who worshipped with uh, strict codes of rituals and of morals. Codes that told them what was right, how to worship, how to eat, what to drink, and how to behave morally morally and the world. Now all these people come together in the church and you can imagine even though they have all accepted Christ their cultural differences are going to rub each other wrong. One of those differences was the fact that uh, many of those who came from the pagan world were used to offering sacrifices to pagan gods which simply meant you might bring a a cow or some other thing to be sacrificed, and uh, the priest would take that as an offering. And, of course, pagan gods or false gods or idols cannot eat. And so it was ritualistic. The meat was then taken and sold um, on the marketplace. And there were those within the Christian church who were the Jewish bent who said, you can't be eating that stuff. Uh, That's food sacrificed to idols. And there were pagans, there were those who were Gentiles who are now saying, no, I don't want to touch that stuff because I used to be a part of of worshiping idols and of presenting uh, those sacrifices, and I want nothing to do with it. And then there were others who said, look, everything that comes from God is good. And everything that comes from God's be." celebrated, no matter what somebody does to distort it. And so all of a sudden, they begin to judge each other. You had uh, the meat eaters and the vegetarians. You had the vegetarians who said, look, you know what? We don't know where meat's coming from. It's better off that we just don't eat any meat. And that way, we'll never have to worry about where it comes from. You had the meat eaters who said, look, vegetables are okay, but, I mean, who wants to eat vegetables all the time? I love Sylvester Stallone. Someone asked him. They had him on a talk. It was on Jay Leno. And uh, they asked him when there's, there was a person sitting right next to him who was a vegetarian. And, and, uh, and they said to him, you know, so w- w- what do you eat for your diet? And he said, anything that has a face. You can imagine she loved that. Paul is saying, look, don't get caught up in this stuff. Don't get caught up in what days to worship and what times to worship. God is not concerned about that stuff. What he's concerned about is how you accept one another. Now, notice, Paul makes it pretty clear. There is one party in this who's right, and there's one party who's wrong. Or there's one party whose faith is strong, and there's another party whose faith is weak. Now, a universal principle that we see in Christianity is this. The strong are always meant to protect the weak. That's why Paul says, Acceptance over distance. Acceptance helps us to draw near to others. It helps us to reconcile them to what is true and real. It helps to build relationships. But when acceptance isn't there, there just becomes greater, greater distance. And instead of the strong protecting the weak, The strong just oppress the weak. The strong just exploit the weak. The strong, as Paul says in these verses, just spend time living in contempt of the weak and in judgment of the weak. Paul says, when it comes to handling the truth, the way to handle what is right and not live out what is wrong is to begin with understanding that God's goal is acceptance over distance. Yeah, that doesn't mean we accept everything, but it means we don't fight over stupid things. I want you to think about it for a minute. What do you get hung up on? When you see other Christians, what do you get hung up on? Are some of you measuring skirts, thinking, I cannot believe she... She came with that skirt. I cannot believe that he would come without a a suit and a tie. I, I can't believe they would sing those kind of songs. I can't believe they would listen to that kind of music. We do it all the time to each other. I do it. I do it to you, and you do it to me. And we have to step back and say, wait a minute, this is not the goal. The goal is not to distance ourselves, but to engage in acceptance of one another, to recognize the little things are just that, they're little. They don't matter to God as we think they do in fact it's wonderful how God is so accepting accepting of the things that we disagree with I have seen churches that theologically on secondary tertiary issues grow and take off and I think but God they're wrong And I've seen churches that do what I think is right, and they just kind of stay stagnant. And I say, but God, they're right. And God would say to me, you're looking at it all wrong. Think about the judgments that you have. And think about the acceptance that you want. Can you imagine being judged for those times in your life when you mess up? Being judged for those times in your life where you don't have it all together, where things are going on. You're not as sharp as you should be. You're maybe not even as patient or gentle as you should be. And just like that, people judge you for a moment of time. And acceptance is taken away. Paul says this. In order to be responsible with what's right, we have to choose acceptance over distance. Number two, he says we have to choose conscience over compliance. Look what Paul says in verses 5 through 9 beginning at verse, uh, that's good. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. One of the things that you see that is so critical in the Christian faith is this idea of conscience. Is doing what we believe in our hearts is right, Martin Luther the great reformer when he was uh, f- threatened for his very life th- to change his views given 24 hours he returned and he said this unless I am persuaded by Holy Scripture and by conscience here I stand I can do no other. We don't want people to simply comply if they don't believe. I don't want people to dress a certain way if it's not something that comes from their conscience. Conscience is, is something that is very, very private. It's between us and it's between God. And it's not something that we export to other people. My job is not to shape your conscience into mine. My job is not to be threatened by your conscience. My job is to hold it sacred. Because it's, it's through our conscience that God works. It's through our conscience that God brings us to an awareness of sin. It's through our conscience that he leads us to repentance. The conscience matters. And so Paul would say this. If somebody believes that you shouldn't dance, don't try to convince them how they should dance. If somebody believes that going to the movies is just wrong, don't try to convince them that it's okay. Respect their conscience in the same way. Respect your own. Your conscience matters. Because the truth is, without conscience, we don't live in reality. And without conscience, not only are we not real, but we're not reachable. Have you ever met people who just go along with anything and everything. They determine what's right or wrong and the direction that the crowd's going. You know the problem with that is, they build their identities around what other people or institutions think. The problem is if you remove those institutions or people, there's no identity. God wants you to know what is it that you believe. What is it that you're willing to stand for? What is it that you're willing to die for? Because that really determines who you are. I remember a number of years ago, I was speaking to um, one of Andreas's religion classes. And a good number of the people just seemed Flat. They didn't seem to have an opinion on anything. And there was this one Muslim ge- gentleman who responded to me afterwards and said, Well, according to what you believe, what I believe will send me to hell. And I said, You're right. And he said, Well, according to what I believe, you're going to hell. And I got tickled and thrilled with that. I said, You're right. Why did I get thrilled with that? Because he knew what he believed. And I knew the truth is this. We both can't be right. One of us has to be right, and the other one has to be wrong. But it's a place to start from. Know what you believe. Be reasonable. Be flexible. Be, be educational. Be But hold to what you believe until you don't believe it anymore. Because that's what it means to honor God. Acceptance over distance, conscience over compliance. Verse 10 through 18, patience over persistence. Look what Paul says. We can turn that. You then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. He's saying this. Live and treat others with patience not with persistence not with this nagging insistence that they come around to seeing things your way he's saying you need to honor them and you need to love them and, and let that be the guide because the truth is this none of us likes to be told we're wrong coming out of the gates. None of us likes to be looked at like we're ignorant. None of us likes to be judged as if we're incompetent. Whenever my opinions have been changed, they've been changed by people who were patient, people who weren't looking to change me or change my ideas. But people who are simply willing to share theirs. People who understood the nature of people. God wants us to be patient with one another. Because patience is one of the sole virtues of love. It's not quickly offended. It doesn't take personal Everything that is different than what it believes. Why do we do that? We don't accept people because of our insecurities. If people are different than us, then, then all of a sudden we get insecure about what we believe and we feel like we need to fight to prove it. We do it out of a lack of compassion. Patience always has compassion Uh, we do it without a lack of an understanding of direction we're all heading in the same place acceptance and patience means that we bear with one another we help one another to get there and to evolve in full maturity Because that's what patience is all about, isn't it? Maturity. How mature do you feel when you lose your patience? We hate it, don't we? We yell at our kids or we yell at our spouse or we snap at somebody at work. And we feel awful. We think, I know better. I should have done better. Paul would say this. Don't let differences cause distance. Don't let persistence in what you believe sabotage the patience that God would have you to have. Because your patience matters. Your willingness to understand that if what I believe is true, then over time, God will show them. I don't have to twist their arms or fatigue their brains by hammering them. Persistence, patience over persistence. Number four, unity over uniformity. Paul says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything That causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. What's the goal? Uniformity? No, the, the the goal is unity. Here's a wonderful freeing thought. You're not the boss of anyone. I tell couples I work with all the time, adults don't get to tell adults what to do. It doesn't work. We don't like it. What we should be doing instead of looking at the differences that bug us is to be looking for the wonderful things that bless us. There are those that all they can see is the negative. There are those who live and complaint all the time. There are those who just pathologically judge everyone around them. And they take the unity of Christ and they tear it apart. When you look at church history, the interesting thing about the Protestant Reformation, as much as Martin Luther believed That what he believed was right and even critical. When he believed that we are saved by grace through faith and nothing else. And the Catholic Church said, no, you're saved by the power of the church and by good deeds. As much as Luther's opinion was different than the Catholic Church, radically different. You want to know what? What scared him the most was causing schism. The church threw Luther out. He never once said, well, look, I'm right, you're wrong, and this is where we just have to part company. And that was a pretty radical truth that they disagreed on. And yet he had this fear that tearing the the body of Christ asunder Was not a good and healthy thing to do. We need to have that fear. We need to be able to look at one another and say, I accept you for who you are. Doesn't mean I have to agree. And doesn't mean I have to change my conscience over how I think. We're living in a world today that really wants to shape our conscience. We're living in a world today that says, from now on, you're going to call him, her, and her, him. We're living in a world that says, you got to use gender-neutral language. You've got to accept everything. If you get an invitation to a gay wedding, you got to go. Or else, we're going to label you as a homophobe we're living in a world that says nobody's right and nobody's wrong and if you differ with us you're wrong you'll be judged and you'll be alienated and yet we still have to stand for what's true part of that whole standing tall thing is being willing to stand when others won't it means being willing to suffer the consequences. It means being willing to believe that God is right and everyone else, including me, is wrong. Paul's saying here, we need to work for unity. Uniformity is not what God's looking for. God accepts and has given us our differences. And God works with those differences. God wants us to love one another, not judge one another. What matters to God is simply that we act as if, as we see the Holy Trinity, where Jesus in his high priestly prayer said that they might be one as we are one. Last principle, fidelity over fear. Look what we read. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubt is condemned if they eat because their eating is not of faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin because their faith, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's a great principle. If you believe it's wrong and you do it anyways, and you're wrong and it's right, you're wrong. That's a great... Because God would say, your conscience told you it was wrong. And instead of trusting in me, to shape you, you just comply to somebody else out of fear of being judged. Fidelity to God no matter what. It's something we need to hold and it's something that we need to extend. This is one of the crucial issues in the church it's what keeps us divided at times from other christians it's what keeps us divided from our neighbors it's what keeps us divided within families it's what keeps us from having peace this sense that we have to be right and everybody has to agree and if they don't we get offended because we've personalized it god saved you that you might live in peace peace with him and peace with those around you. When you engage in judgment of others, you show your distance, not only from them, but from God. But when you love those around you, when you're willing to even keep your mouth shut over those things that you disagree with and keep it between you and God, You'll gain a hearing with the people around you. You'll gain the hearts of the people around you. And you'll move closer to the heart of God. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Father, it is so hard for us to be right when we're right And not to tell others that they're wrong. Lord God, help us in our sin. Help us to see that you have freed us from that. That you have not saved us to make us God over others. But you have saved us that we would... Love others as you have loved us. That we would accept people for who they are. For it's only in that place that we can know them and that we can share our hearts with them. It's only in that place that we can examine who we truly are. Father, we thank you for the acceptance that you have given us in Christ. We thank you that you do not judge us by any petty standards. That you do not distance yourself from us during our bad days. That our bad taste isn't found as tasteless to you. And that the difference in our personalities. Our differences that you embrace for you created them. That in our diversity, we would have everything we need for ministry. And in that ministry, we would first begin with one another. In love and acceptance, that we would encourage and stand by each other. That together, Lord God, we would share the gospel with the world around us with a true sense of unity of truth and of love that is hard to deny i pray for anyone here who has been hurt because of the judgments of others i pray for anyone here who has felt alienated from the body of christ because of the way they have looked at things i pray father that you would turn their eyes upward and not just around themselves and I pray for each one of us that we would take an accounting for the way that we have treated others within the body that you would make us more acceptant that you would make us more loving and that we would truly find the joy of fellowship with each other and I pray all this in Christ's name Amen.